Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean, a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto, and my research interests are uh, religion and media, and uh, my two cats. been researching them a lot. Uh, oh yeah, cats. Yeah, they're pretty good. They've got a lot of distinct personality features to two different cats, two different lives, you know? You gotta stay on top of that, top of the latest literature. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Um, hey, I'm Matt. Uh, I'm also on this podcast. Uh, I'm a professor at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. Uh, my research interests are um, media archaeology, cultural studies, leftist politics, and LaCroix. Uh, right now, uh, I am down in a good lime LaCroix. It's the best one. Uh, I'm HO. Uh, what, what, uh, what degree have you attained in LaCroix studies so far, actually? Uh, I'm working through my master's degree currently. I've had many of the flavors, but still missing out on some. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to hear that it's like a traditional um, educational process and not a kind of weird apprenticeship or something. It would be weird to have like a LaCroix master. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if you have a lot of money to spend, you can kind of fast track your way through it and just get um, like a LaCroix um, like certificate. <laughs> I-, I heard in Europe, it's actually uh, LaCroix masters are just one year, so... Oh, really? Well, Europe has uh, wildly different standards than the great bureaucratic states of America. (laughs) Uh, Well, this week, we're not talking about my cats or LaCroix, uh, much to everyone's um, applause, I'm sure. Uh, Instead, we're talking to Jody Dean about the People's Congress of Resistance. So Jody Dean is a political philosopher who wrote a bunch of stuff, uh, including the book The Communist Horizon. And her most recent book is called Crowds and Party that came out last year. Um, anyway, we're going to talk to Jody more about the People's Congress, so we'll just let her talk to you about that later. Um, but before we do that, I have heard, Matt, that we have some iTunes reviews to get through. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, we got some good iTunes reviews over here. Um, okay, so before I get started in these iTunes reviews, um, let me take this point, uh, this moment to emphasize that we are for sure um, waging uh, an internet battle against the forces of darkness, the principalities uh, of, of in this world. Um, the biggest principality uh, we all know is Jill Osteen. Uh, we made this very clear on our last episode that we were um, 100% a anti-Jill Osteen podcast. And um, y'all responded to that very positively. Um, that good anti Joel Osteen brand, uh, you guys love it. You you ate it up. You played right. You played right into it. You're you're joining the ranks of the Magnificast uh, against Joel Osteen. So um, we got a lot of reviews, I think, in response to this. So I'm going to just read a few of them. Um, and uh, th- thanks for these reviews. We appreciate them. Okay. So the first review um, is by Cheddar Cheese. Nice. Solid name. Good cheese. Great cheese. Better name. Uh, cheddar cheese writes um what it lacks in exegesis it makes up for with catharsis five out of five stars good that's good that's good that's good ammunition that's great uh morale boosting stuff for the anti-joel army um uh so cheddar cheese writes uh as a pinko commie teaching government and economics and evangelical high school in (laughs) the american (laughs) south yeah i know that feeling my friend uh i I think that that we need to talk and hang out (laughs) and commiserate um anyways uh cheddar cheese continues uh the magnificast is catharsis five stars my only constructive criticism is that it lacks in serious exegesis which may not be part of their project but so many times i think man exegesis would have made that point so much stronger 
Yep, Cheddar Cheese, <laughs> you're not wrong. It would have made our point stronger. It is not not part of our project, but it's just mostly outside of our capacity to really do that. <laughs> We're uh, just not exegetes. That's the problem, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, we are not theologically savvy enough to probably do those. But here's here's what you can do, and please do it. Um, call call in to the number that uh, we'll say at the end of the episode, or you can find on our podcast, and um, <laughs> and do the exegesis for us. You can make the Magnificast better by exegeting our comments, <laughs> our biblical yeah, or just uh, send us an email. Send us an email and say uh, oh, yeah. this is a, a thing that I don't know helps you out give us a hand yeah make it a, a collective effort um a, com- a communal effort a communist effort okay um <laughs> do that anyways thank for you for the review that's great great constructive criticism i think all right um second review is from jesse turi jesse turi writes great show five to five star review um great conversation with smart people keep it up boom done that's great 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 comments i appreciate that we are smart <laughs> um <laughs> i agree no, we just we have conversations with smart people. I think that's the qualification here. All right, uh, here's the third review. Uh, this is a good one. Uh, this one is by username Mellow Dude. Uh, Mellow Dude says, "Better than that Osteen fellow." Five out of five stars. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> accurate, uh, true. Yeah, accurate. One hundred percent correct. Uh, this is a good assessment. Okay, so Mel- <laughs> very Mellow verified Dude. fact. <laughs> Mellow Dude says Matt and Dean are very attractive, very smart, pizza loving beings. Ah, uh, did I write this one? <laughs> yeah it sounds like it it sounds like i don't want to say anything but you are a pretty mellow dude oh uh, man what if i did it like a just like a minute like a memento situation where i did this in my sleep or i forgot yeah you have it. to once you find out you better tattoo it somewhere on your body yeah memento but only with itunes reviews yeah that's all right oh god these are okay. all just you um just <laughs> avatars of you <laughs> uh cool that's a great movie someone make that um, okay, Mellow Dude continues. This podcast has swirled around the virtual for far too long. I don't know. The virtual? I guess that's like the online, I suppose. <laughs> okay. Uh, finally, <laughs> it finally, re- finally reaching its critical point as actualizing into this thing of beauty. I wish I had more to criticize, but it's pretty snazzy. You should listen to it if you're a Christian, atheist, Christian atheist, agnostic, a unicorn fairy... Or any other group I've forgotten. Nope, that's it. You didn't forget any. Those are all the religions. Thank you, <laughs> Mellow Dude. Uh, all right, one uh, more. This is uh, w- one of the cases where I'm actually glad that someone's dreams did not come true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, one more one more review, and then we'll leave the other the others for a different time. Um, this is by username Argentina Reeves. Uh, what up? Everyone follow at Argentina Reeves on Twitter. Uh, that would be a good thing to do. She's a very good Christian anarchist and also a longtime friend of the show. <laughs> By virtue of uh, tweeting, retweeting, and faving uh, us on the internet. <laughs> right. Uh, that's right. De- uh, comrade for sure. Okay, so Argentina Reeves <laughs> says, love it, five to five stars re- uh, review. Uh, also, okay, so the the review is this. Uh, you mentioning to overthrow Joel Osteen is what garnered my loyalty. Heck yeah. I mean, everyone can just universally get on that board, right? I mean, like, no one's... There's, like, no one that's even pro-Osteen anymore, I don't think. So... Yeah, there's no Joel Prosteens out there. <laughs> no Joel Prosteens. Only Joel Anti-Steens. <laughs> All Joel right. Nosteen. Joel Nosteen. Oh, hashtag Joel Nosteen. That's the new hashtag. Everyone do it. Hey, tweet something mean about Joel Osteen and about, like, um, you know, uh, 
you can't serve God and Mammon, and then hashtag Joel Nostein. Let's get this going. <laughs> Let's take him down. Um, we're gonna get this guy and tell him what's up. Um, and this is and- gonna coincide with our uh, our hashtag war against Starbucks that we're waging right now. Uh, Starbucks for their pumpkin spice latte is doing hashtag PSL. So we're taking every opportunity to reply to it with a. Uh, Hashtag PSL, but just sharing like links to the Party for Socialism and Liberation. So there, there are a variety of internet fronts you can uh, wage the war for leftism on when you're sitting in bed not doing anything. Okay, so there's Joel Osteen. Uh, there's Starbucks. We have some other enemies too, right? We have like a growing list of enemies, a very Game of Thrones-esque Arya Stark growing list of people we're yeah, against. Yeah, that's right. So, okay, uh, so Joel Osteen, Starbucks, Acton Institute. Roger original... Um, yeah, the right. Acton Institute, uh, and and all who fall under really the Acton Institute, I feel, is the Warring Kingdom. Yeah, that's probably right. They're all kind of, you know, in cahoots. I would say the Acton Institute yeah. and uh, the rest of the bad dudes. Probably not. They probably never talked before. <laughs> but that's how I like to think about it in my head. All right. Uh, thank you so much for these reviews. Thank you so much for the time and effort you um, will undoubtedly contribute to hashtag Joel Nostein. Uh, but if if you guys leave us lots of reviews, if you also harass Joel Osteen a little bit on Twitter, maybe not harass, but, you know, just poke fun at him. Uh, just show him the light. That's the key. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Tell him the good news that, like, uh, he should give away all of his things and uh, fight for the liberation of the proletariat. Um, if you guys help us do those two things, um, we will definitely usurp his spot on the iTunes religious podcast board. So, um, anyways, we appreciate all that work that we know you're going to do and help us with. Um, so leave us more reviews, <laughs> give us more five stars, etc. And let's get let's put Joel Osteen where he belongs, b- below us in the podcast list, <laughs> <laughs> right at the bottom. Living <laughs> is uh, worth life now. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, good, <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm still just thinking about Joel Osteen and kind of laughing to myself. Uh, <laughs> that's a very that's so funny. Uh, oh my gosh. So, uh, Jody Dean, you've talked a little bit about the People's Congress uh, in a lot of other interviews that we've been kind of reading and listening to following up to this. So you'll probably repeat yourself a little bit here, uh, but I think that's not so bad. Um, so for people who've like never, ever heard of the People's Congress, uh, how would you describe it? Like what uh, what are organizers trying to do there? What are you hoping to get out of it? And uh, yeah, what, what are kind of the general selling points, I guess, of why someone would want to be interested in the People's Congress? So first and foremost, the People's Congress is an event that is happening at Howard University on September 16th and 17th. What What is it? Uh, People's Congress of Resistance is a gathering together of frontline organizers from all over the country in order to lift up and energize all of the work that people um, are already doing. So let's think about this. You know, we hear all the time um, people complain about, oh, you know, there's no left or there's no, um, you know, action going on in this country or, or something like this. But my God, there are people who are activists who have been working for decades all 
over the country. There are people who've been involved in environmental struggles, people who have been lately who have been doing pipeline and infrastructure battles like anti-fracking. There are people who have been involved in, in police and community defense and stop and frisk and problems with the carceral state. They've been working on things all over the country. There are people who've been involved in women's reproductive health, people who've been involved in violence against women. There are people who are involved in anti-war and anti-imperialist struggles. So in fact, once you start listing them, you realize that there is a great deal of left political energy in this country. And so what the People's Congress of Resistance is doing is bringing it together so that it can energize and infuse each other so that people recognize, oh, we really are all involved in one struggle. It's one big struggle um, that we call a society for the many that all these different groups are working for. And we should recognize that we are one struggle. We're not a bunch of fragmented little struggles. We're one struggle for a society of the many. So People's Congress is um, put together in order to basically make present to us what we're already doing so that we get excited about it again. Uh, it's really exciting hearing you talk about it just right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited. Um, one of the things, uh, so when I first heard about People's Congress of Resistance, um, one of the things that really jumped out and made me very excited about it was the very articulate and uh, good set of demands. And I was wondering if you could maybe tell us about the, the demands from the People's Congress. Uh, there are seven. And um, I don't know, could you explain those to us and um, maybe the impetus behind some of them? Um, so like you said, we've got um, seven basic demands that all fit together with each other. And that's one of the important things um, as people hear them is to recognize that we understand them as all needing, requiring, reinforcing and energizing each other. So the um, first demand is meeting social needs and securing the means of life for all. Um, the idea is if we think about what in the world is society for, right? Well, society is for people to flourish and to live and to be able to relate to one another. And what do you need for that? Health, food, shelter, education, basically social needs. So we begin from the idea that, that society is for us and for us to live, we have to have health, food, shelter, and education. It's a really very common sense idea that we have to begin by meeting social needs and securing everyone's means of life. Um, that's the first demand. The um, second one is, the second one follows actually directly from the first, which is collectivize the banks, communication, transportation, energy, and all the related in, um, in industries. Because if we think about it, if everyone's going to have health, food, shelter, and education, we have to make sure that we have the means to do that. And that will be means of communication, means of energy production, um, means of sort of finance and funding, um, everything that we need, and means of transportation. And one of the things that's so weird in the U.S. is that there are people who spend a lot of money just to get to work, right? So yeah, that's right. Rather than that, it's on a car and then car insurance and then gasoline, car payments and all that, or on um, like um, cab fare or um, subway or bus. We end up spending a lot of money just to get to work. That makes no sense, right? So in fact, we should we need to recognize that 
transportation is a very kind of basic way that society moves around. And so it should belong to all of us and not be something that you know other people make profit from. Same thing with energy. Everyone needs energy, right? That shouldn't be something that some small sector gets to make money from. That's a basic need. Also with communication, I mean, my God, we already do all the work that creates <laughs> Facebook and Twitter and all of these right. things. Why in the world should there be billionaires who profit from this? Yeah. So again, it's a very common sense idea of what does it mean to have a society for the many? Third platform, peace and solidarity. And that means an end to militarism, colonialism, and imperialism. I mean, let's face it, as everyone knows, the United States spends an obscene amount of money on defense. But weirdly, it's also been the case that things have been getting more and more insecure, right? So why would <laughs> it's not working? So we get, the more money we spend on defense, in fact, the more insecure we seem to become. So uh, if we're going to have a real solid, um, society of the many, this has to spread out globally. We can't be basing our society on colonialist policies, on imperialist policies, and on global militarism. And we'll also see when we turn around to one of the other policies, environmental justice, that in fact, peace and solidarity are gonna be necessary um, for that. But let me, I'll come back to that one in just a second. So peace and solidarity, let's stop wasting all this money on um, a military and put it back into what we need, namely to secure the means of life for everyone. Okay, fourth one, community self-defense. And that involves abolishing mass incarceration and aggressive policing. Um, you know, one of the sad parts of American life is that we have an enormous um, prison system, an enormous carceral state that wrecks families. It, um, it creates, it's, and it's, it's incredibly expensive. In addition to being unjust, right? We're a society that has more than 2 million of our people put behind bars in cages, um, confined. I mean, clearly something is going wrong. Um, our, the police forces are militarized. They're too aggressive. And as we know, the ways that they are aggressive um, are highly racialized, um, highly violent, and really concentrated in poor neighborhoods. It's like, I mean, I mean, like the reality of this is that the capitalist system enforces itself through violence, and it inscribes itself in the lives of people violently by oppressing them. Um, a good society, a society for the many, meets social needs. It doesn't put its citizens in jail because it can't meet their needs, right? It finds other ways to do that. And so we've got to end mass incarceration and aggressive policing and work on other forms of community self-defense and forms of reconciliation. Um, additionally, the next um, demand or platform, a society for the many, if we're going to really have this, we have to have reparations for those who have um, who's, who come from a legacy of slavery. We have to have self-determination for all people, and we have to have uh, respect for native sovereignty. I mean, one of the things that's important as we think about um, collectivizing banks and communication, transportation and energy, is that really reparation always has to be an ongoing process. You can never really, you know, we, we can never um, come back from the fact that this country was based on genocide and slavery, right? That's something that the country has to live with. But one way to start, um, you know, 
building from that knowledge is by a continued process of reparation, which is another way of understanding the redistribution of wealth, the redistribution um, of, of benefit, the redistribution of, of um, sort of, of freedom and justice and making sure that everyone um, has a right to self-determination, that there's respect for native sovereignty and that we begin from a yeah, begin from an attitude of justice towards African-Americans and all other descendants of slaves. Um, next one, ending patriarchy and oppression based on sex and gender. Um, yeah, it's still the case in 2017 that women don't have full control over our reproduction, that women um, are not they don't make the same amount of men in comparable and comparative industries don't have the same opportunities or subjected to violence it's still the case that there that some people get upset over other people's gender expression which makes no sense like why should it bother <laughs> someone else um, we agree yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 it it's it's just it's just flat wrong, and so and we recognize that a society in a society for the many we've got to you know let a thousand flowers bloom, and appreciate and enjoy and let flourish people's different modes of gender expression, um, and then the last one environmental justice, um, you know we're the world is facing climate change, um, it's real it's happening now, um, we're on track for more than two degrees of warming um, already. I mean, that's locked in already. So what's got to be crucial is that we go forward with um, a sense of responsibility to the environment, to the planet, and also to those who are going to be most disadvantaged by the claiming, uh, by the um, changing climate. Right? E environmental justice issues remind us that it's the people in poor areas, almost always people of color, who get flooded out, whose you know houses get destroyed by wind and rain, who um, face environmental contamin um, contamination. So we've got to make sure that. We address the changing climate in a way that's responsible and attentive to the the least well-off in the U.S. and abroad. So this also then goes back to peace and solidarity. Addressing climate change can't happen if the U.S. is attacking everybody. I mean, like that's just that's just not going to happen. We have to build a kind of international sense of of solidarity even camaraderie and recognize we are all on the same side in this and we all have to address this together with an eye to making sure that people in histor from historically disadvantaged communities are not the ones who bear the brunt of the claim of the changing climate. Uh, as you were just talking, I was just thinking about how, especially that last point and the fact that all these demands are kind of tied in together, um, that last point about environmental justice also being tied into these issues of colonialism and um, uh, economic injustices and thinking through who this is going to affect most and first. Um, it's funny because that's exactly the kind of appeals that are getting made, even by people like Pope Francis and uh, these significant like religious authorities who are uh, starting to recognize those interconnections as well. Um, it's just so it's so nice to finally see like a, a list of demands. I think in the American left that. Um, it is bringing all these things together. Like you said, uh, it's really encouraging just to kind of have it all spelled out and 
um, I don't know. It's it's exciting. So I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> uh, thanks. I mean, I think we're all excited about this because we realize, like, you know, the left does have a vision. And all we're doing is putting together the vision that's already out there on the left. And you are absolutely right. Um, Pope Francis has been enormously significant in centering the issues of climate and environmental justice um, all over the world. Right? He's made this um, a very he's made this very important, and also bringing back into um, a dominant role the importance of attention to economic inequality. So it's. Um, yeah, that's right. It's, it's very, very exciting. Um, something we talk about a lot in our podcast is how generally bad Christians are uh, at politics, especially, I mean, you know, they, they lean rightwards. They lean sometimes towards white supremacy, and there's lots of bad stuff going on there. Um, but uh, a lot of these moral claims and political goals, especially the ones that are uh, expressed by the Congress of Resistance, are helpful because uh, they they might help nudge some some wayward Christians, some wayward religious folks back toward um, issues of social justice. Um, so I find these articulations helpful in that way. Um, I wonder uh, what like do you think that there's a particular role for religious folks in general in the People's Congress? Um, is there something that like uh, that we could do like that we could contribute to um, the overall movement? I'm, I'm sure there's a lot and there's going to be stuff even that um, I don't think, you know, that I haven't thought about. Um, but one thing that I start to wonder, are there ways that um, you know, re- people of faith and people in religious communities have thought a lot about forms of community reconciliation that would be really useful in moving away from incarceration and aggressive policing? It seems like attitudes of, of reconciliation should be important for people of faith and that ways of building communities around um, practices of trust and mutual reconciliation could be really useful. Um, I think that when I think about um, um, people, you know, religious people in general, I also always think, you know, um, Native people, First Nations, you know, Native Americans are deeply religious people. And one of the things that we say in the um, manifesto is that climate change, that climate politics has to really um, you know, follow the leadership of of Native Americans as they're like we've mm. been, uh, what like has been done with the um, Standing Rock Sioux, and I think that recognizing the diversity of religious expression, right, from First Nation people, um, Muslims, as they've been taking a leadership role in um, anti-militarist politics. Um, yeah. So th- there's a lot to do on this. Yeah, it's funny how. Uh... <laughs> When you deal with real material problems, um, a lot of those other uh, divisions sort of melt away in the face of, you know, asking questions of like, do you or don't you think that all people should have access to food and shelter or, you know, like uh, (laughs) you would hope that any religious community would be able to say sort of unequivocally yes to that. So um, I think it's cool, too, that uh, at least in our experience on this podcast, uh, interviewing a variety of folks. Um, and also in our experience, kind of looking up and doing research on the People's Congress of Resistance, um, the myth that the left is like completely hostile toward people of faith is just like very not uh, not present, at least um, in these kinds of struggles. Uh, and I think it's just it's it's so fascinating to hear you say all this, Jody, especially about, you know, trying to understand, for example, like the spiritual dimensions behind why um 
you know, uh, the Standing Rock Sioux feel the way that they do about the land or uh, understanding the ways in which Muslim solidarities with communities in other highly populated Muslim areas um, kind of helps illuminate things. Uh, when you're talking about all of that, it just really, I think, should be encouraging. I would hope it sounds almost like invitational to religious folks kind of looking for ways to, to address these issues. I hope so. I also have the sense that many um, religious communities have as their own practice sharing food with each other, like like they'll have communal meals a lot, um, that they have as their practice um, maybe providing shelter to other people, that it's either it's an ethic, right, that you're supposed to, um, what, what is it, somewhere in the scriptures, like I was hungry and you fed me, um, right, right. it was raining yeah, and you yeah. gave me shelter. I don't think it goes exactly like that, but something like that. Um, that, that, that there's that there's a, a basic sense that um, communities of faith share this with with their community, and so um, I would hope that you know securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say. Oh yes, that's at the basis of what we think and believe. Yeah, uh, the thing I was kind of curious about along these same lines, um, I was reading an interview that you did with uh, the Baffler. Um, you were kind of talking about some things you've already talked about here, like the diversity of these struggles being brought together under the umbrella of the People's Congress and how powerful that is. Um, and you mentioned at the end, like the Moral Mondays movement uh, oh, yeah. and what that's been like. And um, yeah, I just think uh, it's interesting to see how religious communities are kind of funding these, um, well, these moral uh, conscience questioning kind of events in American politics, especially. Uh, do you have any sort of further thoughts about that? I mean, you mentioned it as kind of just like an offhand thing alongside a lot of other uh, important movements. Um, but I was curious if you kind of were thinking about how those movements get also kind of um, plugged into things like the People's Congress or could be or something like that. I really admire the Moral Mondays work. Um, in part because of the way that it has um, built a large constituency of people across differences um, in the name of essentially moving forward towards a society of the many and not kind of worrying about what are the small things that um, where we might disagree, but where, in fact, um, I would say the capitalist state wants us to disagree, right? The kinds of, of differences that are deployed to divide us. And I think the Moral Mondays has done very good work um, subverting those kinds of divisions. And I also think what it does is give a different vision of left politics, right? So one of the things that sometimes makes left politics unappealing is you know, the kind of what looks like the way radicals look or act or a kind of particular left <laughs> no, culture, right? Like the, like the cultural attitudes and trappings of leftists, you know, sometimes may be rendered as hipsters, sometimes as hippies, sometimes as bros, right? It kind of depends on, on who's dissing you. But, but there's like a milieu that folks are turned off by makes sense. And then it makes it bad for the left, because if we can't spread beyond that, then what kind of left are we? We're nothing. And so mm. the cool thing about um, Moral Mondays is it's a different cultural milieu fighting for the same things. And I, I hope that that's what we'll see when everyone comes to the People's Congress of Resistance is not a kind of very narrow, trendy-looking left milieu, but really 
the kind of people that we all are fighting for a society of the many already in our different communities all over the country. I think the way that we, uh, or the language that we use about, um, I guess, the societies that we want, the sort of goals that we project is really important. In a, in a word I've, or a phrase I've heard you say a few times is a society for the many. Yeah. Um, I think that's really uh, a cool uh, a cool way of phrasing it. Could you tell us what's behind that phrase particularly? Well, dictatorship of the proletariat doesn't play well in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad branding. Yeah, yeah okay, so... It's- uh, branding is good. Yeah, I don't even know if I wouldn't even call it branding. Actually, I would say conceptually in the U.S., dictatorship has a um, bad connotations. Like people forget the um, old Roman constitutional ideas that in fact it was a short-term provisional mechanism, and many people don't identify as proletariat, uh, as proletarians, and so. What What is the underpinning of that concept, though? It's a society of the producers. Well, unfortunately, in the U.S. now, it seems like a lot of the productive work has been offshored. And a lot of the kinds of jobs that we're used to seem like they're strange things in offices that we don't really understand, right? People who, who manage things. I mean, I don't understand half of what managers manage. And so <laughs> it's hard to exactly to say a society of the producers in the old sense. If we say democratic society, well, that's not wrong, but that's what we seem to have. And that's the name of a society that's deeply oppressive and exploitative and racist and sexist and divided. And so because that's our common sense understanding for what we have, I don't think saying a democratic society works. So then what do we see? Well, we see many different groups working for a better society. So in fact, if we just name it that, what are they working for? A society of their many different groups that are actually combining. I mean, they actually do combine, right? They they combine to try to create the better world that we know that we want. And the better world is one that, what? Make sure that everybody has their social needs left met, right? That everybody can has the means of life. And then what do we what does it take to do that? So in fact, it's there's a kind of common sense reconstruction. Uh, from the activist practices of many different groups all over the country that lets us see society for the many. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, a good way to put it. Um, so, Jody, the first uh, the first time I ever like I ever really heard of you, uh, which is uh, it was a while ago. It was like in 2012. There's a, a conference that I went to and you spoke at it about the new Communist Party. It was in Amherst, Massachusetts. Um, Rethinking Marxism, and, probably right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a it was an okay conference. Um, but so many of the papers were these like really high, like high concept, um, explanations of like reforming subjectivities of the proletariat <laughs> to be like X, Y, Z. But I think it's way better, uh, way better just to say a society for the many. That seems like, uh, way better on a lot of different, um, a lot of different fronts. Um, though on that point, so that, that time that I saw you there, um, you gave, uh, a really cool talk about the new communist party. And I know that like, um that really invigorated a lot of people in the room. They were really excited about it. Um, and I, def- I definitely talked with my colleagues uh, about it a lot after that. And um, so then did you, you all go like, join parties? N- no, unfortunately. Um, we I live in a, well, that's another okay. story altogether. Um, but do you think that there's a, is there a, a relationship between your interest in the People's Congress of Resistance and that, like, um, the way that you've articulated uh, parties uh, in your previous work? Oh, Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, and the one of the primary ways that my um, sort of written and scholarly work on the importance of the party and the People's Congress of Resistance come together is organized politics. Um, I, um, and I'm not alone on thinking this, it's been exciting um, in, on the left in the US um, that there's been so much going on with, um, if we go back to like 2011 Occupy Wall Street, and even before that, um, Wisconsin and the occupation of the, sta uh, the Wisconsin State House for a while, um, with Black Lives Matter has been exciting, the Standing Rock Sioux, of course. Um, but one of the things that we've come up with, particularly with Occupy, is it seems like the the movement gets to a particular point and stops. Um, right. Maybe you know, people go home or they get shut down, or it seems like, well, that's great, you know, what they're doing in Standing Rock, but I can't go to North Dakota. And what about what about what I'm doing? Or, um, you know, in my community, um, you know, police struggles aren't at the forefront. What's at the forefront is environmental contamination, and so we start to get these limits of movements, even though they're inspiring. What the People's Congress does is bring together the multiple movements within an organizational form, right? It's a Congress, right? And it's a Congress that's, that really holds up a mirror to the you know, US Congress and says, oh, you aren't doing anything like we're doing. We're doing what the people, what the many need. You guys aren't doing that. And by the way, also take a look at us, right? We are black and brown and poor and trans and women, and we are out there slugging. And you guys are a bunch of millionaires funded by big banks, pharmaceutical companies, and pro lawyers probably. Um, and you're not doing what we need. So I think, uh, anyway, I got a little too excited here, but... Um, no, good. no, you can't get too excited. <laughs> but the difference is it has to do with, with bringing together multiple struggles and organization rather than just thinking that the movements can keep going just because of people's good intentions, right? We need organization. On that point, well, so we've talked to Derek Ford a lot. He's a he's one of our friends of the show, I suppose. Uh, he's a, a PSL member and an advocate for that. Um, Okay, I'm not a part of a party officially because I live in the middle of nowhere and I have no, <laughs> I don't know, not very, uh, no good means of organizing at the moment. But uh, I am a member of the DSA and Dean lives in Canada uh, where he goes to lots of Communist Party of Canada meetings. So we're not, um, we're not organizing a party officially, but um, what kind of suggestions would you make to folks, I guess, who are like us, who are like have some left tendencies uh, want to be involved, um, but aren't involved yet. Are there any parties that you would suggest to us? What organizations do you think are worth getting involved in? So, well, first, I think it's great that you guys are um, involved in organized politics. That's already um, a step that people haven't made, but you guys already recognized is absolutely crucial. Um, I also think that people need to um, be involved where they are. So, which party, um, and I would say party of the left, right? Which left party do they see that has good energy and is doing good work where they are? Um, now, I'm like Derek, I'm in PSL, Party for Socialism and Liberation. And I became a member as just a national member, right? I didn't, there wasn't a branch near me 
when I got involved. And it's it felt a little strange at first. Like, what does it mean to be in a party if I don't live near anyone in that party? And um, so I, it means I kind of went through the study and then you know, sort of thinking and trying to meet people when I could, um, when I would travel. But fortunately, now we have other people in PSL um, you know, that I helped um, and Derek helped um, um, recruit and who are also in Geneva. So what started with one people, we now one person, we now have a branch. And so I think that it's important to realize, like, even if it seems hard to be by yourself, once you start to join, you're, you're not by yourself. And then you start to um, figure out and think of new ways to actually build the organization. Um, it's also the case that sometimes it makes just a, a lot of difference being involved in local struggles that may not ha take a party form yet. Um, and I'd been doing um, anti-fracking and anti-pipeline or anti-infrastructure stuff in upstate New York for a few years already um, before I got um, involved in this. But And then the other reason, the other way people can get involved is with the People's Congress of Resistance, and they can come to Washington September 16th and 17th. Um, they can also check us out online. And um, our expectation is that there will be people's um, congresses that will then happen all over the country, and people can be on the lookout for that. Okay, so just like Jody said, uh, you should definitely go to the People's Congress of Resistance. Um, it seems like a really rad event and uh, definitely something that uh, Dean and I would like to go to, but unfortunately we can't. So uh, you should go. It's September 16th through 17th, uh, the People's Congress of Resistance. It's at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Um, if any uh, Magnificast folks end up there, um, you should let us know and we will bring you on the show and you can tell us about how it went and what it was like. Yeah, so go do that. Thanks for listening to Magnificast. Like us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, fave us or like whatever you do on SoundCloud. We should probably figure it out. Still don't know what you do on SoundCloud, but do whatever it is there. But if you have time, it's actually super helpful if you leave us an iTunes review because it gives us more visibility and it helps defeat uh, Joel Osteen, hashtag Joel Nostein. Uh, you can also subscribe to our newsletter where we collect articles, book quotes, and more that we're reading and usually include like a thing uh, or two or three about Christian leftists or like notable Christian leftists or just ideas. Uh, also, if you want to be on the show and you have something interesting to tell us about something we got wrong or something that we got right or just you have something to contribute to the conversation, uh, give us a ring at 815-408-0745. Uh, and uh, leave a voicemail and uh, tell us what you have to say. If you liked what you heard here and you want to support the podcast, you can also donate to us on Patreon. We greatly appreciate that so much. Um, so as always, we'll let the band The Illogical Spoon play us out. So see you all next week. I don't want to get up at church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, you keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but my 
mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I would have.